0: if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11, or at least partway through them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. If you do not have a Bible, then you can turn, grab one of the Pew Bibles there and turn to page 903 in the Pew Bible page 903 in the pew bible and if you do not have a bible of your own then we invite you to take that pew bible with you that's our gift to you we want everyone to have a copy of god's word so first corinthians chapter 15 and then page 903 in the pew bible you know one of the most essential doctrines of the christian faith is the doctrine of the resurrection here we are at easter season and uh, i just love to Just watch the providence of God, because who knew when I started this series in 1 Corinthians uh, back in, what was it, September of 2019, that here in 2021 we would hit this chapter of all chapters here at the time of uh, Easter, in the Easter season, but this chapter, chapter 15, is all about the resurrection, resurrection of Jesus Christ and our future resurrection, and this is... Essential. The doctrine of the resurrection is essential to the Christian faith. <clears throat> as Christians, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> as Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, as 1 Corinthians fifteen three through four says. That is our confession we believe jesus died for our sins he was buried and he was raised again a bodily resurrection right a bodily resurrection that took place in time this doctrine is key to salvation in christ it's absolutely essential for salvation in christ While there are those who would say, no, you can be a Christian without believing in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, according to Scripture, no, you cannot. Believing in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to salvation in Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead you will be saved if you don't believe that jesus christ was raised from the dead bodily resurrection you are not saved the doctrine of the resurrection is key also to many other doctrines that we believe in as christians as john macarthur says if the resurrection is eliminated the life-giving power of the gospel is eliminated the deity of christ is eliminated salvation from sin is eliminated and eternal life is eliminated it's all gone without the resurrection of jesus no wonder then that the doctrine of the resurrection has been attacked from every corner throughout christian uh, out the history of the church and even in the first century in the first century uh, first century judaism there were those sects of jews even in jesus day who denied the resurrection of the dead they were called the sadducees that's why they were sad you see but jesus confronted the sadducees right He, he got into arguments about the the resurrection they they tried him they they gave him that little parable if you will well if this woman you know she her first husband dies and then she was passed on to his brother and then he dies and then she was passed on to the next one and he dies and seven brothers had this wife then whose wife will she be in the resurrection you see they were trying to trip jesus up with this outrageous kind of situation that wouldn't happen and jesus said you don't understand scripture you don't get it but he didn't deny the resurrection he affirmed the resurrection he said in the resurrection we're not going to be given in marriage instead we're going to be made perfect like jesus and there will be no need for marriage and giving people to in marriage and all of those things he affirmed the resurrection Furthermore, in the Greco Roman society, the, with, which Paul is dealing with in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, the driving philosophy of the day was Plato's dualism. Platonic dualism is the belief that humanity is made up of two substances a physical body, a physical substance, and a spiritual substance body and spirit. They, that's what they believe the spirit is what they they thought the spirit was the is the perfect eternal substance while the body is a corrupted copy of the spirit so the corrupted body imprisons the perfect spirit and the spirit longs for release from the body so death for platonist was a liberation of the spirit they couldn't even contemplate a bodily resurrection why would you want your spirit to be entombed in a body again and this was the driving philosophy of the greco-roman world the world in which the corinthians lived and thrived it was the world in which paul ministered we see that in acts Acts chapter 17 paul gets in into a little debate there with some philosophers of his day there in Athens. Acts chapter 17, verse 18. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, with Paul. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be preaching a foreign, a foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection you see they were all interested in new philosophies but what's this about a resurrection why would we want our spirits entombed in the body again and this was the philosophy that was driving the the corinthians that was causing them problems in their church they believed in the the resurrection of jesus as we'll see in our text they they believed in the resurrection of jesus they didn't doubt that but Some were doubting the resurrection of believers. So Paul gives a good deal of space in this letter addressing the doctrine of the resurrection. Uh, First starting with the resurrection of Jesus. Reestablishing that doctrine and then moving to the resurrection of the believers. So today in today's text we see five evidences of the resurrection five as evidences of the resurrection so let me just warn you we're going to make it through the first two today and we'll pick up and finish off with with the last three next week but today we're going to get two of the evidences of the body uh, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and the general principle the overall principle that we learn in this text is this the truth of the bodily resurrection of jesus christ is evident by the manifold witnesses of his resurrection the truth right the the proof of the truth of the bodily resurrection of jesus christ is evident in by the manifold witnesses of his resurrection understand this christian Our faith is not a blind faith. It's not a blind faith. It's a proven faith. There's evidence, there's proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There's proof that he experienced a bodily resurrection. And we're to believe the proof, the evidence the witnesses of his bodily resurrection now it's important that we understand this it's important that we grasp this truth because the resurrection is still under attack today it's, in fact it's under attack more today than ever probably liberal theologians continue to attack this doctrine of the resurrection one such group in recent times was known as the, the Jesus seminars the Jesus Seminar, this was a group of, made up of, of about 50 liberal scholars who identified as liberal Roman Catholics and liberal Protestants. So they, they professed Christianity. They professed to be Christians. They met twice a year through the 80s and the 90s and would vote on what they thought was historically accurate and what was myth in scripture so these are liberal scholars they were bound to the limits of the scientific method if you can't if you can't observe it if you can't recreate it here and now then up oh, well we can't believe that right for them there is no supernatural they, they say they believe in God but for them there's no category for the supernatural so any miracle is out it's thrown out we can't we can't take we just tear that out of the bible because there's no such thing as miracles there's so no such thing as the supernatural all we can deal with is the natural and the laws of nature so though they profess to believe in god their god is not a supernatural god obviously because they have no category for miracles therefore the resurrection is out it is myth the bodily resurrection of Jesus is complete myth to them they stated whatever Jesus's followers experienced after the crucifixion it happened in their hearts and minds not as a matter of history it happened as in their hearts and minds in other words jesus was resurrected in their idea of the resurrection jesus was resurrected in the lives of his followers he was resurrected because they continued his mission they continued his ministry he was resurrected in them and their lives but not actually god can't do that Another liberal pastor when pressed on whether or not he believed in the historic bodily resurrection of Jesus said, "I deny the resurrection every time I don't care for the poor, every time I don't feed the hungry, every time I don't side with the oppressed, every time I don't cry a tear for those who have no tears to cry. And I affirm the resurrection every time I feed the poor, every time I side with the oppressed, every time I care" for the hungry every time I come alongside those who have no more tears to cry and shed a tear for them in other words for him the resurrection of Christ is a philosophy it's a way of life but not an actual fact of history let me just say it doesn't matter what I do in my life that does not affect the fact of the resurrection Whether I give to the poor or not, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Period. And my obedience to him makes no difference to the fact of his resurrection. Oh, be careful, because that sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds like something that you might want to say amen to, but look at the philosophy that's driving it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a philosophy. It's fact. The problem with all of all of these such beliefs is, is that all of them are, are completely contrary to the record of, of Scripture. As Paul will show us in 1 Corinthians 15, the historical fact of the Bali resurrection is grounded in actual testimony. The resurrection was was not a feeling, it was not an emotion, it's not a, a philosophy. It was an historic event that took place. And any attempt to teach otherwise is an attempt to undermine the Christian faith, no matter what they may say. For the Christian faith is grounded in the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, the deity of Christ is gone. Salvation is gone. Eternal hope is gone. As Paul says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, as a way of philosophy, we are of all people most to be pitied. Belief in the death, burial, and bodily resurrection is fundamental, fundamental to the Christian faith. If you do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. No matter if you call yourself a Christian or not, no matter if you live by the teachings of Jesus or not, no matter what, if you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, my friend, you are not a Christian. On the day of judgment, many will cry out, Lord, Lord, didn't we follow your teachings? Didn't we do this, that, and the other in your name? And he will look down upon them and say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. A good warning for all those liberal scholars who profess to be Christians but deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we open our scripture today, our passage, and we look at the evidence of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a proven faith, dear friend. And we see the proof evident in this text of scripture. So if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please stand with me, if you will, in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. As to one untimely born he appeared also to me for I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by grace by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain on the contrary I work harder than any of them though it was not I but the grace of god that is within me whether then it was i or they so we preach and so you believe amen may the lord add blessings to the reading of his holy inspired and inerrant word and may he write its eternal truth on all your hearts and you may be seated so as we look at our text today and we consider the evidences of the resurrection the first evidence of the bodily resurrection of jesus christ is the testimony of the church it is the testimony of the church look there again at verses one and two now i would remind you brothers of the gospel i preached to you this is the gospel that paul preached he proclaimed it to them Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul didn't try to persuade them in the sense that he used the schemes of men. He says that in other places in Corinthians that we've already looked at. He, did, he didn't try to, to use emotionalism and all those things. He proclaimed the gospel. He preached the gospel to them. I Remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Look at how he puts that here. As he preached the gospel, they received it. That is, they believed it. They heard this outrageous thing about the resurrection of Jesus, and something stirred in their hearts, and they said, Huh? i believe that now let's just think about that for a moment just just think about that if someone were to come in here and you were just you had no idea now most of us were raised around church in church or around church most likely and and so we've always been taught about the resurrection of jesus but think about it if you are a, a a roman out there or greek out there you've never heard of a a anybody raising from the dead and all of a sudden this strange guy comes into town and he starts preaching jesus christ raised again right crucified buried and raised again you gotta start scratching your head what right that that's not something that we believe that's why the world around us the secular world around us struggles with the resurrection today because this is not something natural this is beyond nature no one dies and is raised again that just doesn't happen now you might bring somebody back to life as far as recessing them right cpr and all that kind of thing they they quit breathing for a moment but you can get on back but he was dead in the grave for three days and then raised again now that's a strange teaching but there's something about that teaching that moves people it changes their way of thinking There's something that moves in a person when they hear the gospel and the Spirit begins to work in them and they receive it. That's true. I don't know why I believe it, but but there's something there. That's true. That's got to be real. That's got to be true. And these Corinthians, these people who knew nothing of Jesus and his ministry, they heard the gospel, believe. They heard the gospel preached, and they received it. There was something supernatural working in them that they believed this message. They received it, and not only did they receive it, but Paul says, "In which you now stand." They were standing in it. Now that word there, "stand," is in the perfect tense. That means that something happened in the past, but it has a continuous result. You see, Paul doesn't doubt that they believed in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He believes in their faith. He he spent time with them. He watched them come to faith. He watched them begin to grow in their faith. And so he says, now you stand in this faith, right? You continue to believe it. Your faith is established. Wasn't that a wonderful truth that once we come to faith, we stand in that faith god guards us he keeps us in that faith they believed it and they stand in it if you're a christian if you're a true child of god you receive the gospel message and you stand in your faith you are preserved there and it continues on and by which you are being saved see that's the past tense you you were saved now you stand in it but you are also present tense are being saved you are being saved there's something that's working within us as followers of jesus christ We weren't just saved when we come to faith, but we are being saved. God is working in us to change us and transform us to make us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is that big word, sanctification, right? He is holifying us. He is making us holy in Jesus. We grow in our relationship with Christ. We grow in our obedience to Christ. A new Christian, when they come to faith, they've got a lot to learn. They're a sinner, they're coming out of their sin and they've got a lot to learn about Jesus and Jesus begins to work in them. He doesn't just make them a saint right off the bat, right? He, he doesn't make their, complete their holiness in, in, in one moment but it, it takes a lifetime of God working in us, his Holy Spirit living in us to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus and the work is not complete until the second coming of Jesus when he returns As we'll learn later on, we'll be raised and we'll go up to to heaven to to see Jesus. We'll experience a bodily resurrection and we will see Jesus. And we will be like Jesus because we will see him. That sanctification is completed on the day that Christ returns. and, And we see Jesus face to face. And we're made completely Holy. But in this life, we are being saved. The work of the Holy Spirit is is working in you, dear Christian. And that work of the, the Holy Spirit in you to make you more like Jesus, all of that is evidence that the resurrection is true. That it really happened because that's the resurrection power working in your life. That's the resurrection power working in your life. The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is now raising you. He is creating new life in you. If you're a Christian, you're not the same person you were before Christ. You're a different person. You're a new creation in Christ. Every member of the church and I say church universally here, every member of the universal church, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they become a new creature. You see, we don't believe because we're smart enough. We don't believe because we're holy enough. We believe because God does a special work in us. His Spirit does a special work in us to give us eyes to see and a heart to believe. And he continues that work in our lives to grow us to become more like Jesus. It's all God's work. He's working in us. Dear friend, you, dear Christian, and your transformed life is evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's true. You can believe it. And if you're not a Christian, you can observe the life of a Christian and see the transformation in their life and you see evidence of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead works in his church to make the church like Jesus. So it's the gospel that is preached which is received by believers is it's what believers stand in. They're grounded in it. It's what they what is causing them to be saved. Then Paul adds this nice condition here that kind of makes us scratch our head. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now we, as Baptists, we affirm perseverance of the saints once saved always saved and then paul throws this little condition in there if if you continue in the faith Well, see scripture always balances out the two there yes we believe in the salvation of uh, or the perseverance of the saints we believe once saved always saved but a person who is saved is truly saved right it, it's someone who is truly saved and someone who is truly saved they won't fall away but there are many who profess faith in christ but they fall away they don't live it nothing changes in their life they do nothing else different they profess with their mouth but their heart is far from god such faith is useless scripture says this is the kind of faith that jesus describes in the parable of the sower parable of the sower Matthew chapter 13 he gives the parable at the beginning of the chapter and then in verses 18 through 23 he explains the parable to his disciples I just want to read what he explains to his disciples for time's sake starting in verse 18 he says hear then the parable of the sower when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it right doesn't receive it the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So they never believe whatsoever. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately received it with joy. It sounds good. Right? It sounds good, man yes i want that no i don't want to go to hell i want to go to heaven so yes i'm going to i'm going to receive it right i'm going to believe that because it sounds good heaven sounds real good to me yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while and when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word immediately he falls away there are many who hear the gospel preached and they receive it for a moment, right? They, on the surface, they receive it. Sounds good. Yeah, preacher, I want that. Put me in the dunking booth. Dunk me, baptize me, make me a, put my, member, my, my name on the rows of the church. Yes, I want that. But then when tribulation comes, oh, what, I, I've got to change the way I live? I've got to do things different oh my friends aren't going to like that oh my buddies they're going to make fun of me for for that oh you see they didn't really believe but they fall away that was no true faith it was no true faith As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word but cares for the world. And, and, the deceitful, uh, and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word. And it proves unfruitful. Right? This is those who, yeah, it sounds good. It sounds great. Yes, I want that. But wait a minute. God wants my pocketbook too? God wants all of me? Not just, you know, you know coming to church on sundays but he wants all of me what kind of like the rich young ruler what can i do to be saved well you love you know love the lord your god and and i your father and mother keep the commandments right do all of that oh well i, I can do that right I, I can put on the face of of righteousness i can look good to my friends and neighbors i can do all of that but jesus says it's one thing you lack go sell all that you own go sell your idol go sell that which you worship most go get rid of it and come follow me and the rich young ruler goes away with sadness because he had many riches see, there's a lot of people who, oh, man, it sounds good. I want to get that that fire insurance, right? I I don't want to go to hell, so, so let me go say I believe, but I'm really not going to give up anything for Jesus. I'm really not going to follow him. I want to do my own thing. I still want to be king of my life. I still want to rule over my life. I'm not really going to follow Jesus, but I can say I believe. Such belief is no belief. And as our secular world gets more or less and less Christian and more and more anti-Christian, oh, we see it all around, don't we? How many denominations, whole denominations are falling away from the faith because secular society says, uh, you you should believe this and not that. You need to get rid of Scripture because Scripture goes against secular belief. And many people are buying into it, right? They're they're going that way. Instead of following God, they're they're following culture. That's not true belief. We see here, built into this little passage, a warning to the Corinthians. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Yes, yeah, society says there's no resurrection. We can't believe that. Oh, we can believe the uh, we can we can follow the thoughts of Jesus, the philosophies of Jesus, uh, and and do good to other people. But but where it cross secular culture, we need to get rid of that. You see, they were falling into that. Paul says, if you abandon the faith to follow secular culture, you're not a Christian. Be warned. Your faith is not true faith. Your faith is useless, and we need to heed that same warning. If you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but you don't follow Him with your heart, you don't give your life to Him, your faith is in vain. Faith is more than just a belief in your head. Faith in Jesus Christ is a commitment to Him. It involves a commitment to Jesus Christ. And dear friend, if you're not committed to Jesus, your faith is in vain. Even the demons believe in Jesus and tremble. But they've never committed their life to Jesus. They're still as much an enemy of the cross as they ever were faith is more than head knowledge it's a commitment of the heart true faith is committed faith Jesus says take up your cross and follow me Steve Lawson says in a counterfeit conversion, there is no death to self, no submission to the Lordship of Christ, no taking up a cross, no obedience in following Christ, no, uh, no fruit of repentance, only empty words, shadow feelings, and barren religious activities. True faith is committed faith that demonstrates a new life a new creation in Christ heed the warning dear friend examine your own life have you truly believed have you committed your life to Jesus or have you only confessed with your mouth because you want hell and uh, fire insurance confess with your mouth And believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. So one of the evidences of the resurrection is that for over 2,000 years now, though many have tried to undermine our faith, the church has persevered. Though many have tried to destroy her, the church stands fast in her faith. The fact that you are here today, that you have experienced life transformation, dear Christian, in your own life is evidence of the true bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the testimony of the church is the first evidence of the actual bodily resurrection of Christ. The second evidence that we see here that Paul gives us is the testimony of Scripture. It is the testimony of Scripture. Picking up there in verse 3. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that, oh, let's stop there. Christ died in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and raised again according to the Scriptures. Paul emphasizes this fact that Scripture tells us it uh, foretold us the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ you'll remember on the road to Emmaus Jesus as he uh, encountered two of his disciples before they realized who he was before he had revealed himself to them they were questioning the the resurrection and, and all the events that had happened that day and Jesus comes to them and he says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus went back to the Old Testament and he began to work through the Old Testament and he began to show them that in the Old Testament God told his eternal plan of salvation that he would send a messiah who would die for their sins be buried and raised again three days later that's pretty specific but we see it in scripture you go back to uh, genesis genesis chapter 3 after the fall as god is is declaring the the curse upon humanity and upon the earth he looks to the serpent and he says cursed are you serpent and he ultimately he ends up telling the serpent now your seed the the woman's seed will come and you will bruise his heel right you will inflict a blow upon the woman's seed but her seed will bruise your head her seed will will cast a fatal blow on your head. In other words, we see the first little picture of the gospel, that the seed of Eve, one who would come, one who would come, one seed who would come one day, would be injured by sin and death, but who would ultimately win victory over sin and death. Then in Genesis chapter 22, we see uh, the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ uh, typified for us in the sacrifice of Isaac. Abraham takes his son, his only son Isaac, up on Mount Moriah to offer him up as a sacrifice unto the Lord as the Lord had commanded him to do. And right before he raises the knife to plunge it into Isaac's heart, Isaac looks at him and says, well, where's the sacrifice, Daddy? The Lord will provide a sacrifice. And Abraham ties his son up, puts him on the altar, pulls back the dagger, ready to plunge it into his son's heart in obedience to God's word to him. And the angel of the Lord called out, Abraham, Abraham, hold on a minute. Now we know that now God knows you are will serve him, that you'll follow his way no matter what. And he provided a sacrifice. There was a ram tied up in the bushes. God provided a sacrifice, a a, a, a picture of the, f- the future sacrifice that would come that God would provide for us. Perhaps the best picture of the crucifixion, the death of Jesus Christ for our sins, comes from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. You'll all, most likely all be familiar with this verse. Isaiah chapter 53. Prophet Isaiah prophesies that who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before them before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth but oppression and judgment he was by oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for th- his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. jesus god told us beforehand in this passage 500 plus years before jesus was ever born god told us of a suffering servant who would come who would bear our iniquities and die for our sins and that he would be buried with the wicked scripture told us before it, long before it ever happened what god would do in jesus christ that christ would die for our sins and be buried christ died for our sins and was buried as according to scripture and then it says he was raised three days later in accordance with the scriptures we see this evident in that last little verse there in isaiah 53 in the exaltation of the suffering servant the deliverance of the suffering servant therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. My servant suffered for me, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressions, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercessions for the transgressors. God says, I'm going to deliver him i'm going to deliver him and i'm going to give him the spoil i'm going to give him everything furthermore we see it in other prophets we can see it a lot during the psalmist but for time's sake i'm not going to turn there if you want to look this up later though look at psalm 110 and see the exaltation of god's suffering servant psalm 110 but we also see it here in and some of the latter prophets, Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. This is a prophecy for Israel, for the deliverance of Israel, but we see in it perfect Israel. Jesus Christ, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that, we, that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Again, that was specifically to the Israelites after they were uh, exiled. But this is looking toward the future perfect Israel, Jesus Christ. His resurrection, three days He was in the tomb and on the third day He was raised to life. And, of course, Jesus says the only sign that this generation will receive is the sign of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then after that, he was resurrected from the dead and spit out on the beach to go accomplish God's mission This was just a a foreshadowing of the Messiah to come who would be buried for three days and then raised from the dead on the third day. God told us in the Old Testament that Christ would come and die for our sins. He would be buried and He would be raised again. The Old Testament prophecy was completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As we read the Old Testament, if we didn't have the New Testament, if all we had was the Old Testament, we should be able to look at the Old Testament and see, wait a minute, somebody's coming. Somebody's going to die for our sins. Somebody's going to be raised again. This is God's promise. And praise be to God, here on this side of the cross, we can look back and say, yes, it was Jesus. God fulfilled His promise fully in His Son, Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was God's eternal plan to save sinners for His eternal kingdom. If you believe Christ died for your sins, that He was buried and was raised again, you will be saved. You will be saved. You can believe, dear friend, in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ because of the faithful testimony of the church and the faithful testimony of Scripture. Scripture tells us. God's Word tells us. Not just as an afterthought, but as a a forethought. He told us what was coming. So the question is for you today, friend, do you believe? Do you truly believe? Has your life been transformed by the power of the gospel? The resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Is it working in your life? Are you a new creation because of your faith in Jesus? Let me just say, if, you've, if you can look back on your life, And look back before you profess Christ. Before you profess faith in Jesus Christ. And look at yourself now. Has anything changed? Can you honestly say that God is working in your life to transform you, to make you like Jesus? If not, if nothing has changed, repent. Turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus because the evidence of your life is that your faith was not true faith. Trust in Jesus. Surrender your heart to Him today. Commit to Christ today. You can believe. Christian faith is not a blind faith. There is re- reliable evidence that Jesus died, was buried, buried, and was raised again trust in jesus give your life to him today oh heavenly father lord we thank you we thank you that you have given us evidence Lord, we can't go back in time. We can't see it for ourselves. We can't see Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected. We can't observe that. But, Lord, you have given us manifold testimony that you did what you said you were going to do, that you sent your Son to die for our sins, be buried, and raised again for our justification. And now, all that you ask of us is to believe, to trust in Christ, surrender our lives to him, commit our lives to his loving leadership. And in that, you will save us. You give us new life, new transformation life in him. And Lord, as we who are truly believers, Lord, we thank you. I know I thank you every day for the work of your Holy Spirit in my life, confirming my faith in Christ. Lord, if there's any today, maybe they've been struggling with this issue of the resurrection. Maybe they've they've had their doubts. Or maybe there's those who have made the profession, profession with their mouth but never truly committed their hearts to Christ. Lord, today I pray that you would open their eyes to see, give them hearts to believe, and trust in Jesus today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.